0: And you'll see a corporate lobbyist from Sacramento, and her name is Adama Uwu. And so here's what I want, you to, I want you to see. What you may not notice, what you may not notice is on this cover, there are actually six women. And if you look to the lower, if you look to the lower left-hand side of the cover, you'll actually see an arm cropped off at the shoulder. And that's actually not a mistake. Uh, the magazine, actually, there's six women on here, and there's one woman. She's from Texas. She's a hospital worker, and because she didn't, be, she didn't want her family to be negatively impacted, she was determined to re- remain anonymous. And so this cover is an interesting cover with not just five but six women from different walks of life. Now, listen to what Time magazine had to say about these women. From a distance, these women could not have looked more different. Their ages, their families, their religions, and their ethnicities were all a world apart. Their incomes differed not by degree but by universe. Iwu pays more in rent each month than Pasquale makes in two months. But on November, But on this November morning, what separated them was less important than what brought them together. A shared experience. You see, all six of these women have experienced some kind of sexual assault. In the workplace now by now i'm sure most of us in here are familiar with the me too movement Um, and it's a phenomenon that has exploded Um, it's been said that it's one of the most viral and most powerful occurrences in social media history now a couple things you may not know about me too it actually started 10 years ago With an activist and a survivor, her name is Tarana Burke, and in her own words, the reason why she developed this Me Too campaign, because she wanted to create a succinct way to show empathy. She said, we use this term called empowerment through empathy. So what Me Too is, is that it's meant to empower victims of sexual assault through shared experiences by individuals hearing the shared experience and simply saying, Me too. Now, even though this started 10 years ago, it actually exploded six months ago. On October fifteenth, two 2017, when actress Alyssa Milano tweeted, and we're going to have the tweet up here. When she tweeted, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write me too as a reply to this tweet. And then she also writes, suggested by a friend. If all the women who have ever been sexually harassed or assaulted wrote Me Too as a status, we might give people a sense of the magnitude of the problem. Now, right there you see over 25,000 retweets, 53,000 likes. But here's the phenomenon. Here's the explosion. It's rather amazing. In this tweet's first 24 hours, half a million people responded to it. By the end of November, one month later, 1.7 million people on Twitter alone had retweeted. Now, this is not all social media platforms, only, only Twitter. So by the end of November, 1.7 million people had reinteracted with this tweet. And since then, Me Too, the hashtag, has trended in over 85 different countries. But perhaps what has been... Equally as impactful as the voices of the victims is the revelation of the perpetrators. Um, they actually call it the Weinstein effect. Are you familiar with Harvey Weinstein? Um, this is a producer, famous producer in Hollywood. Um, after the Me Too um, movement went viral, it uh, comes out that this man has been a perpetrator, a sexual predator for many years in the industry. And now people are coming out. And this man had so much power. Um, let's go back to the uh, Weinstein real quick. And so they call, they call it the Weinstein effect because after, after his story was released from the Me Too movement, uh, movement um, all of a sudden, uh, uh, many other perpetrators started to be ousted by their victims. So we could go ahead to that next. Uh, colli- uh, this is obviously not everyone, but here's just a collage of all the men within the last six months or so that have been uh, ousted based on this. Isn't that amazing? Um, producers, actors, even actresses. And here's the thing, politicians. And before you say, "Oh, that's what I thought," on both sides of the aisle. Politicians on both sides of our physicians, like the, the, the disgusting story of the Olympic doctor, Larry, or his name was uh, uh, Larry Nasser, uh, Coaches, teachers, and even, yes, clergy in the church have been exposed. Now, I just want to make a, a personal observation. As I was preparing for today's message, uh, I found myself filling all kinds of different ways. Um, but one thing stuck out to me the most. This reckoning that is currently taking place is God-ordained. Are you hearing me? Church, look at me. This reckoning that's currently taking place is God-ordained. And if the church won't stand up and deal with it, then God has no problem raising up non-believers to accomplish his prophetic justice. If the church refuses to deal with it. If the church remains silent and if the church doesn't want to bring the prophetic justice it's been called to bring, God has no problem raising up non-believers to bring that justice to light. Are you with me? Can I give them a round of, If the church... I need you to be You know, I know typically you're all real quiet and reserved, but today, if the church does nothing and says nothing, then God has no problem raising up non-believers. Now... I've been praying, and we've had prayer warriors praying. We prayed all morning this morning. We've been fasting. My prayer is that the church would rise up and partner with God as he exposes and breaks demonic strongholds. Can I get a little weird with you guys? This is demonic. This is satanic at its core. And I believe God wants to break and expose, but he also wants to heal and redeem in the name of Jesus. And he wants to break and he wants to expose the lies that's been spoken over. He wants to break the the lies and the destruction of the enemy over our wives, over our daughters, over our granddaughters, over our sisters, over our mothers. And yes, even over the men that have also been sexually assaulted. And there is so much power. Satan has so much power in the silence. The dark. He has so much power, but I want, to, I want you to know I love this equation. Light plus love equals healing. Light plus love equals healing. Are you with me this morning? So my prayer is that Inspire Church would become and raise up protectors and not predators. Protectors and not predators. Now, I recognize we're about to go into a scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 13, if you want to go there with me. This is a sensitive subject, y'all. This is a sensitive subject. They say one in six women have been sexually assaulted. One in six. They say one, and I believe it is, in 13 men have been sexually assaulted. So there is no doubt in my mind this morning that there are those of you in here today that have experienced this. No doubt. This is sensitive. This may trigger some things. Uh, This may cause some tears. Uh, This may cause some discomfort. But I'm going to pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would be our comforter. And I'm going to pray that the people of God would just let their judgment just, just lay it at the cross, and that there would be no judgment this morning. And if so somebody needs to get up and get a drink of water. Somebody needs to get up use the restroom. Whatever the case may be, it's okay. You don't want to come back. That's okay. But what I do want to do as a pastor is I want to uh, talk about this. Why? Because God has talked about this. God has spoke about this. And so we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray that the Comforter would come in and comfort. I'm also going to pray that the Spirit would also give me grace and peace and truth as I do my best to articulate this in a way that would just bring life and love and healing and that would point to the beautiful redemption of the cross where your shame and your sin has been nailed. And um, I'm going to believe that God is going to do something impactful and lasting in us this morning. And so can we pray together? So Heavenly Father... We recognize this moment as God ordained. We rec- we recognize this morning that you want to do a work. And so we're okay if people begin to weep. We're okay if even now there is tears. We're okay. Uh, we pray for the beauty and the purity of Jesus to flow all over this room. We speak to the lie of the enemy, the condemner, the liar. We, act, we block him out, and we declare right now that your word would pierce through pain and sin and hurt and dysfunction, and that you would love like only you know how to love. And, Lord, can you speak through me, and can your spirit begin to create a space of safety in this room. I'm asking this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 13. This is actually a pretty long chapter. It's going to be chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 22. We are literally going to read the entire 22 verses. Is that Okay. Will you step into this story with me? Will you um, just kind of step into this story? Again, this is no holds bar story. The scripture does not hold back. And so I'm going to read this. Um, in fact, I'm going to come down here and read it with you guys. And, um, and let's step into this story. And as I read this story, again, this is a real sensitive story. And so if you feel any type of way, and so I want to just empower you um, to, be able as, uh, to be able just to feel. It's okay to feel this morning. And so the text says this in 2 Samuel. Chapter 13, 1 through 22 says this. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because his sister Tamar, for, he, for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, Why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and, and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send everyone out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from her hand. And Tamar took the cakes and she had, that she had made and brought them into the chamber of Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and he said to her, come lie with me, my sister. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king. For he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred. So that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. Go. But she said to him, "No, my brother, for this is wrong in sending me away, it's greater, For this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you just did to me." But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, "Put this woman notice he don't even call her by her name no more put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her." Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying out loud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Hold your peace, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, In her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Now as tragic as this story is, it confronts what I think are seven uncomfortable truths that I believe you and I need to hear in order to become a church full of protectors. Seven. And I also believe that these seven uncomfortable truths will not only help us become a church full of protectors, but will help us as a church destroy the opportunity for the enemy to create a culture of predators. Everything starts with human depravity. Everything starts with human depravity. If you look at verse 2 and you remember what was said, Scripture defines describes Amnon as being tormented. So much so that he had made himself ill because of Tamar. Now, here's what I want you to see. Everything starts with human depravity. In order to solve a problem, we must first understand the root of the problem. In order to understand what, uh, in order to find a cure, we have to first diagnose what kind of illness this is. Are you with me? When it comes to the terrible realities of rape and sexual assault, before we can call it a problem of patriarchy, or before we can even call it a problem of sexual perversion or deviance, it is without a doubt a problem of sin. And there is no human on this planet that is innocent. Paul tells us in Romans 3. We're all under sin, and that there is no one righteous, no, not one. You see, the illness that Amnon is filling, this illness from Amnon, it goes deeper than just an act. There's a root of depravity, not just in Amnon, but in all of us. This is simply not just an issue of the body, but it's a core issue of the heart, that can only be remedied by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as powerful as the Me Too movement is, and I respect it and love it, the church is the only institution that has the remedy for sin. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may may be able to stop somebody from acting, but only the gospel can stop somebody from thinking. Now, this doesn't mean men. That you're off the hook as if it's women who triggered you. This doesn't mean that the men are left after, off the hook as if the women are to blame too. Don't, don't you hate that argument? Well, she shouldn't have wore that. She was asking for it. What a silly and ridiculous argument. And just because we are all sinners and human depravity affects us all, it does not leave us as men free of the blame. Here's the second thing I want to talk about. We're guilty of sin, sure, but a predatorial culture thrives where fraudulent masculinity is allowed. A predatorial culture thrives where fraudulent masculinity is allowed. Do you remember Amnon had a friend? You know, Scripture describes his friend as being crafty. And this crafty friend advises Amnon to pretend. I have an idea. "Hey, bro, come here. I have an idea. I know a way that you can bag her. I have an idea. I know the way you can go after her. I have an idea. He, he, he says, "Here's what you need to do. Why don't you pretend to be ill so that you can, wa- you can ask the king to send your sister in so you can watch her, and after watching her, you can actually call her over and she can actually feed you personally." This is sad. You know what's so sad about this is that there are some that would say, oh, this is just boys being boys. This is just what men do, right? We even have some officials, and I don't want to get too political, this is just locker room talk. This is what all guys do. That makes me sick because it's not what all men do. That's a lie. That's not what real men do. It's what fraudulent men do, but it's not what biblical manhood does. This is not just boys being boys, are you with me no matter how you phrase it no matter how you put it no matter if you were just joking talking about sexually assaulting or harassing someone it's not biblical manhood it's not real manhood it's never okay and you know what's so crazy look look at his boy jonadad that's my boy that's his cousin too if you read the story Jonadab comes in, and and, and Scripture describes him as crafty. Now, as I was reading this story, that word jumped out to me. What does that remind you of? It reminds me of the serpent in Genesis. Are you with me? It's literally the same word used to describe the devil in the garden tempting Eve. He was more crafty. Now, I want to ask everyone this morning, but specifically the men this morning, I want to ask you two questions. First, what kind of voices or what kind of voice are you to your friends in their life? What kind of voice are you in the life of your friends? A real man moving in biblical masculinity mentors and disciples and is unafraid to correct another man when they're out of order. That's the problem with the church today. A lot of people, well, the problem with church is that they're too judgmental. No, we're not judgmental enough. Hear me out and let me explain. I don't want people to judge you as you walk in. But we need real men of God, real disciples and mentors, women. We need real women of God, real disciples and mentors that are able to sit down with someone and say, no, that's not correct. That's not how we do things as a man of God. Everyone's too afraid to offend somebody. And you know what? Here's what I want to say. You want to know why people are afraid to offend someone? Because y'all act too offended. You're not comfortable with who you are in Christ. And when someone calls you out on something, you just go haywire. You need to let the Lord heal you. Some good critique is necessary in your life in order for you to grow in righteousness. What kind of voice, man, are you to your friends in their lives? Yeah, bro, do that. It's sad. Jonadab is a strategic accomplice. And you know what else is real sad? Jonadab represents the first person that has the power to stop this thing. He's the first person that has the power to stop this thing. Second question What kind of voices are you allowing to influence your life? Well, Pastor Phil on Sunday, what about Monday through Saturday? What kind of voices are you allowing? to influence your life are you with me are these voices promoting fraudulent masculinity or biblical manhood my pastor used to say wrong voices wrong choices so true so true who are you listening to here's another one what are you listening to you know, I know. We're, you know, we're a young church, and you know, and we're, we've been two years. We're trying to get people to come in. We don't want to offend nobody. But yo, know, every time you put, I get this world gets so hypocritical. You have all these people, you know, championing the cause, but then they're writing music and lyrics that are informing your flesh to become the very thing that they're fighting from. Yeah. What kind of music are you listening to? Yeah. Who's who's preaching to you? What message are they? What voices are speaking into your life? What concerts are you going? Listen to the lyrics. I know some of it's just good. We dance, you know. You know, as Christians, we like the beat. It's just dancing music. Feel you're getting real religious right now, and I get it. I understand. And there's some music I like to listen to when no one's around. You know what I'm saying? But if you sometimes, if you ever just listen to the lyrics, I mean, it's just disturbing, yeah. disturbing. And then, you know, and then we're going to champion the cause, right? We're going to fight for prophetic justice. I'm upset. And I'm not mad at you, but I'm mad at the body of Christ. Here's what I want you to do. Go home and just listen to some of the things you listen to. Write down some of the lyrics. Write it down. No, 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 Pastor. I can't. Again. You know, I don't want to be legalistic and religious. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you out, out here because if you're just living on Pastor Phil's word, you ain't going to change. But the Spirit is calling you to go deeper and listen to the Holy Spirit. Okay? And you're all in different walks of your life. Some of you are like, well, wait a minute. I just came here today. Wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But, you, you know, I won't be back next week. I Thank you. But here's what I want to say is if you want to create a culture of protectors and not predators, we gotta take, take a look at the voices we're allowing to influence our lives. And everybody wants to rip the church, oh the church this and look at that, or whatever. And we look at the world like, oh my gosh, look what they're doing. So hypocritical. Well, it's just art. When it's artistic, we can be naked on screen. When it's art, you know, it's like you're contributing to the dehumanization of women sorry men men especially men of god we need to wake up y'all you know you and i men we have the power to cut off fraudulent masculinity at its root women you don't have no offense you don't have the power to cut fraudulent masculinity off the men do you have the power to shut it down some of you might be saying, man, the men are really getting it this morning. Here's why 90% of sexual assault victims are women. We need to take responsibility. man. Number three parental naivete. Where there is parental naivete, there's also an elevated chance of successful sexual assault. I mean, David, are you serious? In this story, King David, the one that we all love, right? The sling, right? we like, oh, wow, man, when he beat Goliath, he was a man after God's own heart. He's such a hero, and he is a biblical hero. But you dropped the ball, David. You dropped the ball. As a father, you failed to protect your daughter, and you failed to correct your son. As a father, you failed to protect your daughter, and you failed to correct your son. Please, okay. Uh, no, no... What's the word? No condemnation. I, I, this, I'm speaking to a culture that wants to become pr- protectors. Amen? And if so, if you've been through this situation, your child has been through this situation, this is tough for me because there's a part of me it has tension. I want to hit hard. There's a part of me that wants to understand there is redemption, forgiveness, and growth. In Are you all with me? And so I'm trying to balance this, but there's a little bit of frustration in me, too. So just continue to pray. But please, just hoping the Holy Spirit would translate this and take my words. Um, but here's what I want to say. Verse 6 tells us that Amnon pretended to be sick and specifically asked the king to send his sister to him so that he could watch her cook. I mean, guys, really, I want to watch my sister cook. And then after that, I want, I want her to feed me. Right? You're a prince in a, king, in a rich kingdom, and you have servants like, why isn't at that point David saying, you know what, this is a little weird. I've always known you to be the weird one, son. <laughs> right? I see that you, wait. it's really uncomfortable. The whole palace kind of talks about it because we can all, isn't that weird? Isn't it crazy? You kind of know. You feel it. You sense it. David at some point may have known. Or, and if he didn't know, if all of a sudden, uh, you know what, I, I don't think I want all my servants to cook me. They, I, you know, can you get my? It's my sister? Are you with me? Get Tamar so I could watch her cook and she could feed me. And instead of David discerning that something was not adding up, he agreed, and he sent for Tamar, sent her to Amnon's house. I want to talk about two things, protection and correction. Amen. Please hear my heart on protection. My goal today is not to make parents feel bad, but instead... I want to empower parents to start becoming more active in the life and interactions of your children. Can you be aware? Can you be aware of who you're allowing in your home? Can you be aware of where you're sending your kids? I've sat with many survivors, and you know what they confess? Their perpetrators are members of their own family. In fact, it's overwhelmingly the case. The perpetrators are members of their family. The parents just left them with, "Oh, that's Uncle so and so," and you know what? The whole family. Some, some even situations. The whole family kind of knows about it, but they don't really say nothing. (sighs) Please be vigilant. Now, I'm not advocating that you live in constant fear. Or suspicion. But I'm advocating for parents, will you stop being your, your, your child's best friend and start being their protector? Stop it. Get involved. Ask questions. Get educated. Provide leadership so that your child, you know, they may not want it, but they'll thank you in the long run. Protection. And the second one is Correction. You know, even though we're told later in verse 21 that David became angry with Amnon, there's never any record of David doing anything about it. You know, as protectors, one of the worst things we can do, and I'm still learning to do this too, and I'm looking back in my life, and I see some guilty places that I've had to repent and even ask the Lord, what do you want to do now? So I'm being honest with you guys. As protectors, one of the worst things I'm realizing we can do is hear something and never do anything about. it. But if we're going to do the hard work of creating a culture of safety, we're going to have to create a culture of response and consequences. Here's the hard truth that parents, I think, need to hear. Sometimes the reason why victims of sexual assault are so silent is because they don't want to make their parents feel bad about allowing the situation to happen in the first place. Parents, though, it's your job. It's my job as a dad to create a place of discipline and a place of safety, even if it's after the fact. Even if this is something that's already happened and you're unsure about how to go about it and you feel all this guilt and pain of not being a protector, I'm saying that the Holy Spirit and Jesus has something. You could still intervene as a rescuer and a champion for your son or your daughter. Jonadab represents the first man in Tamar's life that could have stopped it. David represents the second man in Tamar's life that could have stopped it. Number four. Not only does a predatorial culture include aggressive perpetrators, naive parents, but you know what else? It also thrives around bystander passivity. Verse 9 tells us that Amnon kicked everyone out of the room, and they all left. You know, sometimes people are just okay with not being Jonadab. You understand that? Like, hey, I, didn't, I wasn't contributing to this conversation. I heard the boys talking about it. You know, I heard so-and-so saying so-and-so. Like, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't say nothing. But you were there, bro, and you heard it. And you were in that situation, and by being a passive bystander, you didn't step up into the biblical manhood that God called you to step into. Are you with me? Sometimes people are just okay with not being Jonadab, But just because you didn't do it or just because you didn't plan it doesn't mean that there's some way you couldn't stop it. You know, when it came to Harvey Weinstein, as many of you know, there were many stories about him. Many people behind the scenes who knew all about it. There were jokes. There were payoffs. There were a lot of self proclaimed good people who did absolutely nothing about it. Now, this is so sad, but so true. And I want to ask a very sad question. Are you ready? Who had Tamar's interests in mind? Who was protecting Tamar? Who cared for her? Who was concerned about her? Who had Tamar's back in this story? It wasn't her cousin. It wasn't her father. It wasn't the servants who were thrown out of the room and told to leave us alone. And you know, maybe the servant couldn't have said something to, to the prince's face, but maybe he could have went to the king and said, there's something going on, king, and I just want to let you know. As men of God and members of the body of Christ, I would hope that if you saw any woman going through any type of distress, and again I'm, I'm, I'm as a pastor I'm speaking to myself. It, think of them as your own daughter or your mother. even if our own church, even in our own church we need to be on guard. Yeah. Number five, verse 11 tells us that amnon grabbed Tamar and demanded that she would have sex with him and verse 12 she begs him no and you know she says no my brother this is rape and incest incest she says no no my brother don't do this as if she's trying to whatever whatever she could throw out there to get him to stop no if there's a no but then there's no my brother brother you're my brother this is sin all the way around don't do this Verse 15 tells her that he rapes her. And in verse 16, Scripture scripture makes a very telling observation. I want you to see this. Suddenly, Amnon's love turned to hate. And he hated her even more than he loved her. Ultimately, Amnon throws Tamar out of the room, refusing. He doesn't even use her name. He He calls her, woman, get out the room. And he locks the door. She leaves. And this is number five. Blatant misogyny. What is misogyny? It's hatred of men towards women. And it easily turns from a high to a low. If we're going to produce a culture of protectors and not predators, we're going to have to teach our young men and our young women the difference between love And lust. Amnon never loved Tamar. He never loved Tamar. What he was really experiencing was lust. And when he got what he wanted, he hated her. Let me give you a quick definition of love and lust. Love builds a person up by placing their needs ahead of your own. Love builds a person up by placing their needs ahead of your own. Lust breaks a person down by using that person as an object of your own personal satisfaction. Love builds up. Lust breaks down. Love places the needs of someone else before your own. Lust breaks them down and uses them as an object for their own personal satisfaction. To the men in this room, I'm going to be very honest with you, pornography is a sure way to train you in the dehumanization of women. We need to start looking at women as our sisters and our mothers, and we need to train ourselves to see them as more than just a body for our own pleasure. And I know it's difficult. I've been through that fight. I've stood up here and told you a million times over. I know what that's like, but we need to begin to retrain our minds. You know what Scripture says? I love what Scripture says. Scripture says be renewed, right? Be transformed, I'm sorry, by the renewing of your mind. The word is truth, and the truth sanctifies your mind and renews it. And all of the stuff that we've put into this computer is saved, but God could come in and begin to redirect and renew through his word. (laughs) To the ladies in the room, you are more than just your body, y'all. No, no, no. You're more than just your body. You're more than just your body. To the young ladies in this room, to the 14, 15, 16, and 17-year-olds, you are more than just your body. You are more than just your body. You are more than just how many likes and views you can get on Snapchat or Instagram. Your value is not based on how many looks you can get at the mall. Your value is not based on how many people turn their head and catcall you. Your your value is beyond what your body brings. You're more than just your body. And it's difficult because in this day and age, we, we, we get our validation through people's ability to like us, to want us, to desire us. And if you look at it, parents, your teenage daughter is getting all these likes on Instagram, how all these hashtags, they're objectifying themselves, they're not being taught that they are more important than their bodies. And it's not just teenage, young adult women in here. You might be single, but the way to get a man of God, you're more than your body, y'all. Can I get mothers and fathers, disciple your daughters? Can I share with you something real quick that may change your life? Mothers and fathers, dads, you need to reinforce this to your baby girls. Are you with me? You need to reinforce this to your baby girls. You need to take long walks and You need to tell them, I don't care what they say. You're more than your body. Uh, you know what? Yeah, okay, you're beautiful and all that, but I'm going to you, say you're intelligent. You're brave. You're courageous. You're gonna, you have a heart after God. Wow. Mothers and fathers, disciple your daughters to understand. Here, here's something that changed my life. Jim Anderson taught me this. Mothers and fathers... Please think about this or write this down. Disciple your daughters, the difference between appropriate and inappropriate praise. What does Proverbs 31.30 say? Can we throw that up there? Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be This is the value that we must instill in our children, disciplers. Parents, you are the primary discipler, not the youth pastor or the pastor or the mentor. You are, and even sometimes they don't listen to you as much. It's okay. You are the discipler, and you must teach them the difference between inappropriate and appropriate praise. Daughters, women, mothers, granddaughters, please listen to the word of the Lord. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is fleeting. Yes, one day things ain't going to look like how they used to look like. Charm is fleeting, beauty is deceit. I'm sorry, charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord—that is someone who deserves appropriate praise. What's the difference? Inappropriate praise is when predators praise a woman because she used her body to sensualize herself appropriate praise when a woman says you know what even though I have these temptations even though I think sometimes I need to... and look girls go ahead and look good you know I told Jamila we're going on a date baby let's you know let's dress up a little bit right no laughs there okay let's just break the ice right it's good to look good it feels good I'm not you know I'm not saying you can't you know what I mean do you guys get me yeah yeah Are we here? Like, it's okay. But here's the most important thing is that I want my, if I ever do have a daughter and pray, I would love to have a daughter. But I, I want my wife to know, I want my daughter to know, you know what? What's more important in your beauty or your face or your body or you're this or your that is that you are a woman who loves the Lord and hold on, hold on, don't before you clap I need you to listen. You are someone who loves the Lord and when I come into your presence I feel safe and secure as a man and I know that you're going to fight battles with me on your knees and I know that even if times get tough you're not going to walk out, we're going to repent together. A woman to, who fears the Lord is to be praised. She makes you feel safe and secure. She makes you feel confident. Men of God, you're looking for women. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. She makes you feel safe and confident. She moves you forward. When you're going too fast, she slows you down. When you're going too slow, she speeds you up. Women of God, this is who you should strive to become. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord, she's She's to be praised. Number six. Before I talk about the sixth uncomfortable truth, I'd like to point out three things Tamar did once she had been raped and kicked out of Amnon's room. And you can find this in verse 18 through 19. First, we're told she tore her long sleeves. She tore her long sleeves. This is so significant because we just read earlier Only virgins of the king's daughters could wear that kind of long sleeved robe. Now, I know in our culture we don't get it, but to a woman in those days, her virginity ensured her future. I know that's weird, it's how the culture was built. So, this is Tamar's way of saying, I'm damaged goods. Now nobody's going to ever want me. And the very person who stole my value has kicked me out of his room, and I'm worthless. So she tears her rope. I'm no longer valuable. My future is no longer set. Second thing we're told is she put ashes over her head. Now this was typical of someone who's in deep grief and mourning. In fact, you'll see when David loses his son, he put ashes over his head. He goes into a deep time of mourning. This is Tamar's way of saying, "Today I died. I died today. I might still be walking, but I died on the inside. I've lost my joy. I've lost my hope. I've lost my future. And I've lost my dignity. Tamar might have even been suicidal. This leads us to the third thing that we're told that she did. She laid her hand on her head and she went away crying. And what you have here is a picture of the deep, destructive damage of sexual assault. Tamar is the very essence of broken. Now watch this. Tamar's brother, Absalom, he represents a final hope. You know that? Now, Tamar's brother can't stop what's been done, right? Jonadab could have stopped it. David could have stopped it. The bystanders could have stopped it. It happened. She came out feeling dead inside. Her dignity is gone, worthless, and no longer will she be of any valuable to anyone, maybe even suicidal. And her brother is sent to her in that moment. He doesn't represent somebody who could stop what happens, but here's what he does. He represents her final hope in this story for restoration, healing, and God justice. He represents the final hope in this story for a a Positive ending to say you are, you are empowered, you can move on, and you can use this, and God can glorify, and you, he represents a man who can bring restoration and godly justice. So tomorrow, brother Absalom, representing her final hope, healing, godly justice, instead of giving her life, all he does is tell her to be quiet. Tells her to be quiet. He says, hold your peace. Be quiet. He's your brother. It's your family. I know, I hate it too. You're going to be okay. Maybe he said a couple of extra encouraging words. It's your family though. Hold your peace. Be quiet. How many women and men who have experienced this, Satan is literally saying, shh, don't ever say anything. Don't tell it. Keep it in the dark. And, you know, can I tell you this? As long as it's in the dark, he has a way to condemn. He has a way to speak lies. He has a way. That's his secret weapon over your life. You you, you could be a Christian for 50 years but still have something in the dark. And I'll tell you, I love you. God loves you. You can go up, but every once in a while the enemy could come and probe a little bit, and he has a foothold. Absalom says, hold your peace. He's your family. Telling Tamar to keep silent is kind of my sixth point. It's called victim insensitivity. And this hurts. This hurts someone more than it heals them. And sometimes you're really meaning well, but again, it hurts more than it heals. If we're going to become a church of protectors, we must become a church of encouragers we must encourage those who have lost their voice to find it again. Even if that means driving with them to the local police department to file a report, y'all. Finally, number seven, I want us to realize that in a predatorial culture, it's not just about sexual perversion, but it's very much about the abuse of power. Control, manipulation, and consent. You know what's really crazy about this crafty friend, Jonadab? He says, oh, king of the son, or oh, son of the king, why are you feeling this way? You know what he's doing? He's reinforcing his authority. You're the son. You're the son of the king. You're David's son. You're one of his oldest sons. You know what he's saying? Because you have that place and that position, you can what? You can get away with it. You have a place of power. You have a place of authority. You could get away with this. Nobody would ever be able to say anything to you. You kick the bystanders out. They can't even say, hey, wait, because you have a place of authority. And this is what we're experiencing in the Me Too mo- movement. It's not just the calling out of sexual perversion. It's a calling out of men who are in places and positions of authority who are using that authority to manipulate someone to do something they really don't want to do. Because after all, where's my paycheck going to come from? I'm never going to be able to get another job. I'm never get- do you understand what I'm saying? We may look at these people and say, well, they could have not. I'm going to tell you something. This is manipulation at its best. And it's not just men; it's women too. We have a bunch of high school teachers sleeping with students, and a lot of them are coming out—not just men, but there's women. Gosh, I feel like abuse of power because he was the prince, son of the king. I'm sure he felt like he could get away with anything. I mean, who was going to arrest him, right? Who's going to get in his way? Who's going to stop him from taking what he wanted? Not even his father, the king, could do anything to stop it. Can I speculate for a second? I want to invite uh, some of the team to come up. Can I speculate uh, just something for a second? I think, and I'm, I, I, when I speculate off of scripture, this is not in scripture, y'all. But I think, can I think for a minute? Maybe David felt disqualified to talk to his son. Maybe David felt disqualified. Hear me out. Because maybe David realized he had kind of did the same thing. Y'all remember that story? King David, what happened? He's on the rooftop at a certain time of the day in Israel when women are taking baths on the roof. So he's looking at pornography to be honest. That's like ancient porn right there. It's okay to laugh, but it's true. He knew who was out there during that time, and he's on the rooftop, and he's surveying, and he sees one that he likes. And you know what he does? He gets one of his servants to go and get her and tell her to come. Do you know what? A lot of us will look at Bathsheba and, and, and question her, but you know what? When the king tells you to come, are you with me? Maybe David felt a little disqualified because years before he had used his authority to get what he wanted. And so here you have a father that can't even correct his son because he feels like he has no place because he's still dealing with some shame. Maybe. Fathers, can I say something? The devils that we don't beat will come after our children. We got to beat them. Even worse, the devils that maybe come after our children, we want to be able to give them a testimony. We want to be able to not feel empowered to correct. We don't want our past to get in the way. So, well, I'm not going to say anything because I used to be. I did. I still currently. Are you with me? And I know I'm speculating, but maybe, just maybe, David felt disqualified because he realized he used his authority to get a sexual pleasure himself. <sighs> Super difficult topic to go through considered bypassing it but couldn't because this is god's heart he wrote about it in his word he has something to say and i I struggle with it a little bit because i'm more of a passionate preacher you know my little vein pops out a little bit and sometimes i get all you know it feels like man are you yelling at me and so i i I even because i knew in in presenting it there might be some anger there might be some frustration but here my heart There is in the gospel something to say. The gospel has something to say. Christ has something to give to everyone in this situation. Please hear me. There is forgiveness for the offender through confession and repentance in the gospel, there is healing for the victim through the light and love of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And there is hope for the church to be prophetic protectors that God has called us to be. I want to pass some advice to you that was passed to me as we pray this morning. To the men, you are not the problem. You are a part of the solution. Brothers, we need you. We need you to be the men of God that he created you to be. We need you to be the protectors and champion of women and children. We need you to be good fathers, good leaders, good shepherds. Please do not remain silent, immobilized, and turtled in the shell of passivity. Man up. Fight against evil with more than just lip service. And even when it's no longer a popular fad, because this fad will go away. Psalm 82 3 through 4 says this, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hands of the wicked. To the women, sisters, do not respond to the current heightened attention on the terrible plight of women by becoming bitter, finger-pointing, blaming men and adopting a victim mentality. Do not jump on the popular bandwagon of collective consciousness, raising that present ideas and solutions concocted through human wisdom. Let the word of God and sound doctrine be your heart's anchors. Love your brothers. Respect them. Affirm them. Encourage them in their pursuit of godliness. And help your abused sisters. Isaiah 58:6. Loose the bonds of wickedness. Undo the straps of their yoke. Help the oppressed go free. Don't those two scriptures speak for themselves. Can I read them again to you? For the men, let's go back to Psalm. Give justice to the weak. Give justice to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted, and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Isaiah 58, 6. Loose the bonds of wickedness. Undo the straps of their yoke. Help the oppressed go free. And you know what's really crazy about these two verses? It describes the ministry of Christ. His anointing breaks all the yoke of bondage. So we're going to pray. Before we do that, we're going to reflect. And then I'm going to pray over you this morning. But a lot was said. I just want to give a moment for the Holy Spirit to breathe into your life this morning. And so let's pray and let's reflect in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to listen to the words of Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and then I'm we're gonna pray. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is Jesus. And as as is with custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Listen to what Jesus said. He reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind. To set liberty those who were oppressed And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor And he rolled up the scroll Gave it back to the attendant Sat down And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him And he said to them Today this scripture has been fulfilled In your hearing This is the power Of a resurrected king Jesus Christ And with your head bowed If there's anyone in here this morning Who is dealing with the reoccurring pain, the reoccurring shame. If there's anyone in here. That are triggered by memories. If there's anyone in here, even certain smells trigger you. I know this is, I'm praying the Holy Spirit would just move in your life. We're believing in healing. There's even men in here. You said nothing out of embarrassment. I want you to know that the Lord is here for you. If there's anyone in this building here today, you're and you're dealing with reoccurring, reoccurring, uh, you're dealing with reoccurring thoughts and dreams and memories. I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Will you just pray with me? I pray right now in the name of Jesus that it would be broken. I pray right now it may not happen overnight, but I pray that there would be a catalyst moment today that, that things that were in the dark that the Holy Spirit is shining the beauty and the light of his love over it right now like a flashlight in a dark room right now I believe the Holy Spirit is just shining something that has been hidden and held back and even if you're angry those tears Tears are God tears. those anger that anger is God's anger. And so right now I just pray that nobody would feel condemned, that nobody would feel abandoned, that even if they've experienced people in their lives that could have stopped it, And they feel angry, not just to the perpetrator, but to the people in their lives that could have said something. May we grab a hold of the cross of Christ. May we grab a hold of the one who was shamed. May we grab a hold of the one who was blamed. May we grab a hold of the one who was stripped naked for all to see, who was put on the cross. And may we grab a hold of the one who has shed his blood, the anointed Messiah. And that his anointing breaks the yoke of every bondage. So we're gonna just take a couple more seconds here. We're just gonna preach freedom in this room and proclaim liberty to the captive. Come out. Let's begin to step out of that cold jail cell that's hold you captive. Come out, all these years, come out of the jail cell. Come out, release and, and, and free. Let go. Let that godly anger. It's okay. That frustration. Some of you have been holding your feelings in because you don't even know if it's okay to be mad. I'm just, let that go in the name of the Holy Spirit. Is here. You be angry, and let the Holy Spirit guide you in your anger. That emotion is important to come out. God gave you your emotions. Your tears are a releasing of pain. It's a releasing of pain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for the men of this church. I pray for the men in this church. God, may you raise up protectors. I pray for the the boys, the little boys and the sons that are next door. Can can you just pray for our next generation? I pray for the, the boys in the next room over. Come on, I pray for the, the, the three-year-olds, the two-year-olds, the, 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 the newborns. I pray for the 10-year-olds and the 12-year-olds as Satan waits. Come on, may God raise up men in this room. May God raise up father figures in this room. You don't have to be a dad to be a father figure. It would teach these men how to talk and teach them how to walk and teach them how to treat women. Treat them and Teach them about appropriate and inappropriate praise. Touch our boys. May we raise up world changers. That sounds so cliche, but may they change the world in just the way they treat women. May they show the love of God everywhere they go. And I pray for our little girls in that room. I pray for our our little girls in that room. When I come against the plan of the attack of the enemy that steals innocence away, and then has the audacity to say, "Be quiet." Lord, I pray for healing and hope, and peace. And Lord, will you raise up fathers in this house? And you don't have to be a dad to be a father that would show these girls what it is, what a man looks like by treating their mothers well. Will you cover and protect our children? And especially pray for the men and women in this room that are battle-tested and battle-scarred. There is no doubt in my mind that there are some in here that feel like tomorrow. There are some in here that feel like tomorrow. But I speak life, and I tell you today that of all the men that have ever rejected you, there's one man. There's a man that didn't despise, didn't reject. There's one man that didn't walk away. There's one man that loved authentically. There's one biblical man who treats his bride even though his bride doesn't treat him well. He loves her. There's one man that cleans his bride with his word. There's one man that accepts her over and over and over again. And despite being rejected by men and abandoned and wounded and hurt by men, some of you in here today, there might even be some things going on inside of you because you've been hurt by men that question your sexuality, there might be, you might feel more safe and more comfortable with certain people. But I want to tell you, of all the men that abandon and reject you, there's one man that loves you with an everlasting love. And his name is Jesus Christ. And may all the men in this house be imitators of that man, Jesus. Love us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, throughout the week. We ask that you would continue to create a place of safety and breakthrough in this house this morning. And as we go forward, may we be a church that start with me as a leader. God. I've failed. There are failures. I've had to repent for you this week. There are things, as we're praying, there are things even in my mind, I'm saying, man, I need to do something because I failed in this area. May we even repent. We just take the time to repent. I know that's not a popular word, but it's still a powerful word. We repent of anything inside of us. Maybe we've been a a passive bystander. Maybe we've been a Jonah. Maybe there's somebody in here today, say, you know what? I, I need to really repent. I've been a perpetrator. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive us. Will you teach us in the midst of this sinful, broken world how to be imitators of Christ? Guard us and protect us and keep us. Lord, we love you so much because your word does not shy away from anything, Lord, but it speaks loud and clear to our hearts. I thank you that this is included. So, Holy Spirit, be with us as we leave, and if today or for the rest of this week something comes up, Holy Spirit, will you just process with those in here? And again, we're getting ready to dismiss, but I just want to say one thing. If throughout this week you still feel a burden, I want you to do one of two things. If this lays heavy on you and begins to hurt you, will you call somebody that you know and you trust that loves the Lord? Will you call some of those group leaders, some of your leaders, your connect group leaders? Will you call some of those in your connect group that you trust? And will you, will you say, you know what, I just need a little prayer. Will you, will you not isolate yourself, but will you, will you allow the ministry of the body of Christ to penetrate maybe through some of your fears this week? Uh, will you process with the Holy Spirit this week? Will you say, Holy Spirit, I'm scared, but if you walk me through this, I could face anything? Will you reach out to myself or to Jamila? We'll point you in the right direction. But will we become what God is asking us to become as a family? And so, Lord, we love you. And I thank you for giving us this moment this morning. Will you be with us? And we ask these things in the mighty, perfect, strong, wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Look, listen, God bless you. And may you go in peace this weekend. May the Holy Spirit go with you and, uh, and, may, and this week, if you can get out to a connect group and, and again I just want to encourage you today just as we walk through, um, that you would just walk with Jesus. Amen, God bless you guys. we'll see you next Sunday. I don't care what nobody says. I am nothing without His grace see, I know I'm in His favor. Cause I'm standing here today. No, 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 nobody can tell.